Good morning. We're going to invite the children to go to make their way to junior church. And we're going to turn to Romans chapter 12 this morning. We're going to start in verse 12 again this morning. Romans chapter 12, verse 12. Verse 12, he says, Rejoicing in hope, persevering in tribulation, devoted to prayer, Contributing to the needs of the saints, practicing hospitality. Bless those who persecute you, bless and curse not. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Be of the same mind toward one another. Do not be haughty in mind, but associate with the lowly. Do not be wise in your own estimation. Paul's admonition comes out of verse 9 there where he says, Let love be without hypocrisy. It expresses the need for us to demonstrate love for one another. As I think of that, I think of an illustration that comes out of the the Civil War days. A New England girl had just become engaged to a man who was called into the army right after their engagement. Their wedding was postponed. The young soldier managed to get through most of the conflict without injury until he came to the Battle of the Wilderness. There he was severely wounded. His bride-to-be, not knowing of his condition, read and reread his letters, counting the days until he would return. And then came a letter written in strange handwriting. It read, simply said, there has been another terrible battle. It is very difficult for me to tell you this, but I have lost both my arms. I cannot write, so a friend is writing this letter for me. While you are as dear to me as ever, I feel I should release you from the obligation of our engagement. The letter was never answered. She got on the next train and went directly to where her beloved was being cared for. When she arrived in the camp, a sympathetic captain gave directions to his cot, and she searched for her loved one and finally found him. She threw his arms, her arms around his neck and said, I will never give you up. These hands of mine will help you. I will take care of you. What an example of extreme love. It would have been so easy to walk away from that, and yet, She felt that she loved him and needed to minister to his needs. Last time we looked at the fact that love is really an action word. We're called to demonstrate love by our actions and our reactions. Now, we know that. Uh, And we also know that there's a sacrifice involved in love. And this comes out of chapter 12, verse 1, where he says, I want you to present your bodies as what? A living sacrifice. And one of the ways that we do that is by loving one another. Those of you that are married can possibly remember some of your marriage vows. For better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health. Why do we go through those vows when all we want to do is get married? Well, because it captures the truth of, of what love is really involves. I think of that first phrase, for better or for worse. I, I like to think that I got the better deal. My wife got the worst. <laughs> That's just a fact of life. <laughs> but then you come to the richer or poorer. Do you ever realize when you were first thinking about getting married how much it was going to cost? You know, we, we like to think two can live as cheaply as one. It just doesn't work out that way, does it? Uh, it it uh, We 
we struggle in some of those areas. Then comes the sickness and in health business. Uh, it, it would be great if every day was a day of health. But what if our partner is sick? Is there a sacrifice involved in that? I, there, there is. Love demands that we sacrifice for the other person. And so we want to continue that vein. How should we love one another? Now, I, you notice in your notes, I'm starting with number nine. What about the first date? Well, you had two weeks to work on those first date. I, I gave you those two weeks ago, and I trust that you found one of those to work on, and, and God has changed you in that area. We're going to continue that. We're going to give you eight more today. The, the first one that we look at in verse 12 is, I want you to rejoice in hope. Now, how is that, or what does that have to do with love? Rejoicing in hope. Have you ever experienced the fact that people can be difficult, that they can be hard to love at times. <laughs> uh, I'm not talking about your partner now. <laughs> but have you ever noticed that a lot of people like to whine and complain and criticize? And yet, he says, I want you to rejoice in hope, even with those people that may be hard to get along with. In 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 7, he says, Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things. It captures the idea that God is able to change individuals. As you look at your life, aren't you glad that you're not the same today that you were 10 years ago or 20 years ago? Aren't you glad for the changes that, that God has brought into your life? And then when you stop and think about that, that difficult person that you're struggling with, aren't you glad that God's able to change them? God's able to step in and work in those situations. If we're not careful, we miss that concept of rejoicing and hope, and we give up on people. I remember years ago in our first church up in Little Wet, British Columbia, we had a man there uh, who loved the Lord and had a desire to, to bring people to Christ but he was driving more people away from the church than we could attract. Uh, uh, he taught the adult Sunday school class. And, and if a, somebody new came in, he would scrap the lesson for that day. He would stand right in front of my, like I would, if he was in this place, he'd walk down, stand right in front of Luke. And he would give uh, the gospel message and try to get that, that man to, to convert right there on, on the spot. And the end result of that was, most of them never came back the second time. Uh, it, it, and, and, you know, over the course of time, I, I got frustrated with that. And I began to pray, Lord, why don't you move him out of the area? He wanted to move. He, he had applied for jobs in different areas, and he wanted to move. I said, Lord, just take him out of, out of the area. You know what? We left before he did. <laughs> and, you know, we still keep in contact with Jim and his wife boils down to basically a Christmas card and once in a while an email, but uh, they became dear friends. Why? Because God changed him and God changed us. Yeah, we both had to grow in certain areas. And and, and today we, we have that, that bond of friendship. And I'm so thankful that God didn't answer my prayer, that he left him there because we have a friend now in, in him there. Do you rejoice in hope. As we rejoice in hope, we become a blessing to those that are struggling. What do we have to hope for today? Well, I think 
of all things, we have the hope of a glorious future. Uh, I'm amazed at how many people have asked me, uh, how was your trip in Hawaii? But the the second question, most asked question is, did you get in on that missile scare? (laughs) Yes, we got in on that missile scare. (laughs) We were were just ready to start the day, and uh, that involved getting bags of stuff ready to go because when we left the condo in the morning, we didn't get back till supper time. And so we had packed everything up that we were going to need for the day, had our plans all made, just getting ready to walk out the door when Ginger says, we got a problem. And on her phone came the message uh, uh, that the missile strike was imminent. You had 12 minutes to get to shelter. Uh, and it said specifically said, this is not a test. <laughs> so what do you do? Uh, uh, we, we didn't have a, what do you, how do you handle that? Uh, and so I said, let's go down to the lobby and ask, uh, maybe they have a basement we can get into or something. <laughs> it, uh, uh, 12 minutes is actually not a long time. But we went down to the lobby and uh, the lady at the desk said, I don't have a clue. She said, I've never seen anything like this before. And, and she was trying to call and every phone line was jammed and we, nobody could get any information. Finally, she said, well, we have shelters, but they're up in the mountains. Uh, they're, they're for uh, tsunamis, and uh, you, you don't have time to get there. So she said, the only thing I can suggest is go back to your room and, and stay away from the windows. Uh, uh, flying glass there. And, and uh, as we're walking back, you know, it was quite kind of interesting to watch the people in the lobby. There was a, a young couple there that I think were newlyweds. They were huddled in one corner holding hands and praying. I thought, well, that's great. Uh, there was a TSA agent, and he was on the, trying to get on the phone and, and uh, trying to get some information and getting more frustrated as time went on. And, and uh, people were upset. Some were crying. And, and so we said, well, no sense in staying here. We might as well go back to the room. And on the way back, we were talking. And Ginger had called our two daughters and said goodbye just in case it was something happened. And uh, said, what are we going to do? And I said, well, you know what? This is a great way to end a vacation. <laughs> I said we could go from paradise to par- to the real paradise. <laughs> we 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 we've, we thoroughly enjoyed our time up till then in in, in Hawaii, and uh, if in the next moment we're going to be home with the Lord, we're going to thoroughly enjoy that as well. And, and so that's the way we left it. Until 38 minutes later, we got the message that somebody made a mistake, and, and we didn't get to go home with with the Lord. But you know, but the amazing thing to me was through all of that, I don't think we ever felt afraid. We, we, we were confident that if the missile came, we could be home with God in glory. And what could be better than that? And so uh, we were rejoicing in a sense in hope there. We have that hope of a glorious future. We know that heaven is coming. And so can we put up with some of those people that may be hard to get along with? Can we rejoice in hope, believing that God's able to work in their lives? And if he doesn't, what difference is going to make in eternity? We, we can rejoice in hope today. Then here comes the hard part. You ready for this one? Number 10, persevere in tribulation. Remember the marriage vows, for better, for worse, richer, for poorer. We, we, we like to think we're going to have a glorious life together, but sooner or later problems come. Uh, um, maybe they didn't come in your marriage. I don't know. But uh, we, we've had our share of them o- over the years, uh, struggles along the way. He said, I want you to persevere in tribulation. That's a facet of love that 
we would love to ignore. And yet, in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 4, where he amplifies love for us there, he says, love is what? It's patient, it's kind, and so forth. Love is patient. Why is love patient? Well, people can be hard to get along with. They can be difficult at times. They can be self-centered. You ever notice that most or a lot of your trials come because of people? And then when you think about that, in Philippians chapter 2, verse 14, he says, Do all things without murmuring and complaining. That's a tough one, isn't it? I won't ask for a show of hands on that. How many of you did some complaining or murmuring this week? Uh, he says the reason for that command is, is found in verse 16 there. It says that your light may shine in a sin-darkened world. Uh, we can't use trials as an excuse not to love. We can't use trials as an excuse to be miserable to somebody else. In the midst of the trial, we may need to pray for wisdom. We may need to ask God to help us react rightly. But we can't use it as an excuse not to demonstrate love. We love irregardless of what that other person does or does not do. I remember when our kids were growing up, we always used to tell them, don't let somebody else determine your actions. You know, you see that on the playground. Well, he hit me, so... I have a right to hit him back. Uh, she said this, so I, I can say this about her. No, you have to answer to Jesus Christ. You have to be persevering in the midst of that tri- tribulation. You have to do the loving thing, irregardless of whether the other person does that or not. We are called to persevere in tribulation there. That's a sign of, of love. Number 11, we are called to be devoted to prayer. Others need it, and so do we. How many times have you recognized the truth of James 1, chapter 5? He said, if any of you lack wisdom, let him do what? Whine and complain about it? Get upset with the other person? No. He said, let him ask. Let him pray. Uh, When you're dealing with people, it's amazing how a quick prayer can change Maybe not the other person, but maybe yourself. We, we, we need to be quick to pray. Uh, we're involved in a spiritual battle. Ephesians chapter 6 gives us the armor of God there and so forth. And then you come down to verse 18. He said, with all prayer and petition, pray at all times. We need to be men and women, young people of prayer. We need to persevere in prayer. Uh, when someone is critical... Or someone throws a fit or a temper tantrum or whatever it may be, we need to pray, Lord, how do I respond? What, what's, what's needed in this situation? How can I be a, a, a blessing in, in this situation? We need to pray for ourselves. We need to pray for the other person. And I, I guess an obvious question that we need to ask ourselves is how quick are we to pray? Are we as quick to pray as we are to criticize? Are, are, are we as quick to pray as we are to, to lash out at somebody else or to react in the wrong way? Are, are we really devoted to prayer? I, I don't know about you, but I, I think a good exercise, and I, I would like to see all of us do it, is we, we have a directory. And I realize a lot of you are not in the directory because you weren't here a year ago. 
uh, we're talking about revising that and getting the rest of you in there so uh, that we, we can. Uh, but uh, I, I've taken the time. If you fill out a card, if you're new here and, and put your name on it, I, you get in, put in my direct. I don't have a picture of you, but I have your name and your family and so, so forth in there. And, and that is my guide for praying for this church. I, I work my way through every week through, through the names and, and the, the pictures that are there and, and uh, pray for each one of you. But, you know, wouldn't it, wouldn't it be great if we all did that? If we all took that directory and prayed on a regular basis for one another. So I don't, I, that that's, to me is just a starting point, but that, that's a, a good place to start. Are we quick to pray for one another? Then number 12, he said, I want you to meet genuine needs. He phrases it, contributing to the necessity of the saints. Now, I realize that's just the starting point. He, he said, start with the church of God. Start with the family of God. There are many people out there beyond the church that, that, that also need our help, and, and we can contribute to their necessities as well. But the starting point is in the church of, of Jesus Christ. That's our first responsibility, the family of God. In, in John chapter 13, he, he says, By this shall all men know that you are my disciples. How? By your love, one for another. And as we see a need and as we meet it within the body of Christ, we are demonstrating not just to that person, but demonstrating to the world the love of Jesus Christ. We are examples of his love through our love for one another. So much so that John, in First John chapter 2, comes along and says, says this, First John, uh, did I say 2? It's not chapter 2. That doesn't ring true in my mind here. Uh, chapter 3, verse 17. He says, whoever has the world's goods and beholds his brother in need and closes his heart against him, how does the love of God abide in him? Little children, let us not love with word or with tongue, but in deed and in truth. If we have the resources and we see a brother or sister in need, God expects us to help meet that need. Uh, you say, well, that could be costly. He doesn't address that issue. He said, by this shall all men know that you are my disciples, by your love one for another. We need to reach out in love where we can. The Apostle James says in James chapter 2, verse 15 through 17, If a brother or sister is without clothing and in need of daily food, and one of you says to them, Go in peace, be warm, be filled, yet you do not give them what is necessary for their body, what use is that? Even so, faith, if it has no works, is dead, being by itself there. The emphasis is if we have the ability to reach out and meet a need in somebody's life, we have that responsibility. If God reveals that need to us, we are the ones to, to address that need. Now, notice he says, contribute to what? The necessity here. Not necessarily the wants. I, I, I often think of that when we were um, in Grangeville. I, I remember one day we were outside the church, and here comes one of these big motorhomes, drives up and parks right in front of the church, and the couple gets out of it, and they said, we need help. And I said, well, what do you need? And they said, well, we need money for gas, we need money for, uh, to pay for a camp fee, we need money for food, and on and on and on. And uh, as I questioned them, that's the way they were traveling. Uh, I thought, yeah, that's a great way to see the country. <laughs> but is that really a need? Uh, 
they, they had a home. They, they, uh, they, they, uh, uh, in that case, that was not a need that I f- felt that I wanted to contribute to. We, we need to be discerning in that. What is a, a, a real need? I, I re- still recall uh, I was visiting somebody in the hospital a couple of years ago, and, and I, I came out and came out of deaconess, so I came down to, I think it's second, and over to division there. And just on the corner of second and division, there was a man holding up a sign, a transient. And, and I, I had to applaud the honesty of the man. It said, need beer. <laughs> uh, I, I thought, well, at least the man's being honest, but I really didn't see that as a need, a necessity, that I wanted to contribute to, and so I drove on. It, it, uh, we need to be discerning in those areas, but when God reveals a need, we have a responsibility to meet that need. Now, when he says meet genuine needs here, the necessity of saints, I think we need to realize it goes beyond financial help. What is the real need? What do they, they, they really need? Many people always are in financial crisis, and it may be that they just need somebody to sit down and explain some financial principles and, and how to budget and, and, and how, to, how to work with what God has given to them. Uh, another need that we might be able to meet is just simply a listening ear. A lot of people need somebody just to listen, somebody just to share what, what's going on in their life and, and, and to really care and, uh, about them there. So it, it, it can involve more than a handout. It, it, Ministering to genuine needs involves much more than that. Uh, I remember when we were between churches, after I had resigned from the church in Grangeville, we went almost a year without an income. Uh, that, that's a tough place to be. I, I did odd jobs and, and uh, uh, whatever, whatever could be done, I, I, I was willing to do it. But uh, I, we had a friend. He didn't go to our church. He went to another church in town, uh, but a, a close friend. I had ministered in their church uh, when we first got there. Uh, the the Reformed Church was right around the corner from our church. They had their service at, uh, at 10, and ours started at 11. So when their pastor went on vacation, I would fill in for him. And when I went on vacation, he would fill in for us. And if you didn't preach overtime, you could make the two services. It was just a block away. You had to be careful not to go too long, but it worked out quite well. And so that's where I first met Jim and his family there. And he found out that we had some needs. And he began to meet some genuine needs in our life. He had been doing that for years. He was a logger, had been a logger. He was a state patrolman at that time, but... Used to live up at Bonner's Ferry, and he was a logger. He loved nothing better than going out and cutting firewood. Uh, uh, he would come by the house, and he'd say, hey, don't you need a load of firewood? Let's go out and get a load of firewood. Uh, 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 I, I remember one time we first started, the first trip we made out to get firewood, it was Ginger and I going out, and uh, we, we were driving up this mountain road, and, and here's three pickups there, and, and uh, I recognized Jim's pickup immediately, and I said, I think this is going to work out pretty good here. <laughs> the road was blocked. They were cutting trees way down in the canyon. They were winching them out, and uh, we pulled up beside him, and Jim looks at me. He says, uh, are you out looking for wood? And I said, yeah. He said, well, who's your, where's your partner? I said, well, she's sitting beside me here. <laughs> uh, that, that, wasn't, that wasn't good enough for Jim. Uh, he, he said, pull over. He said, this tree that's coming up is yours. 
they proceeded to cut it up, uh, helped us load it. I, I was cutting up some of the small stuff on the side of the road. He said, what are you doing that for? He said, that's just scrap wood. He said, that's for people that, that are just out looking for scrap wood. I said, what do you think we're doing? <laughs> we, we, we can't winch those trees up from down in the canyon and so forth. And, and, uh, but, uh, you know, Jim had a way of knowing what was our real needs. There were days when we'd find a basket of food on the front door, and I was pretty sure where it came from. There were other days when Jim would come knocking on the door, and he said, you know what? Uh, one occasion he said, I need to re-roof my father-in-law's house. Would you like a job? I loved that. It, it uh, gave us some meaningful work to do and, and uh, earn our way. He came around another time and said, we've got to redo the roof on the parsonage of our church and uh, re- remodel the entryway and so forth, construction work. And, and he said, are, are, w- w- would you come and work with us? Didn't offer any pay that time, but uh, he did eventually. They did pay, but that wasn't part of the bargain. But uh, he seemed to know what we needed, and, and he met those needs. I wonder, as you look around today, has God revealed some need in somebody's life to you? You know, the first thing that we're tempted to do when we see a need in somebody's life is send them to the pastor. That's not what he says to do here. He says, you meet that need. Uh, uh, you get involved in their lives. You be the instrument that I work through to, to meet the needs in their lives. We are called to meet genuine needs today. And then number 13 here, we're called to practice hospitality. Sadly, in the day and age in which we live, that's often a ministry that we ignore. We are to practice hospitality. Uh, it was a necessity in Paul's day. When, when you traveled, you didn't have motels to stay in. You, you didn't have a lot of restaurants to go through. If you were going to survive, you depended on the, on the good graces of somebody else. Often the, the means of meeting their needs was to simply open the door and allow them to come in and share a meal, a place to stay for a night, uh, someone to talk to and, and so forth. It, it, it's amazing how the ministry of hospitality can break down barriers and doors. You know, there's something about sitting down and having a meal together that just opens up the opportunity for us to share in, in somebody's life. Uh, and, you know, the amazing thing to me is when you practice hospitality the one that's often the, the one that's blessed is not the person receiving the hospitality. It's the person that's giving the hospitality. Uh, I, over the years, we have been privileged uh, to have missionary speakers stay in our home, uh, visiting people that were coming through. And sometimes that demanded some sacrifice. We, we had to kick our kids out of their room and <laughs> give their bed to somebody else and so forth. But that didn't hurt them. As a matter of fact, they were tremendously blessed by the fellowship with some of these men and women that, that, that came our way. What, what, what a blessing it was. Hebrews chapter 13 speaks of the fact that in doing, practicing hospitality, sometimes you might entertain an angel unawares. Now, I don't know if I've ever entertained an angel or not, but uh, that's uh, not the important issue. The important issue is have we entertained the saints of God? The church of Jesus Christ. Are we practicing hospitality there? Is our home available 
for God to use to touch somebody's life? Are we free to open it up and say, Lord, it's yours. It's available for you to use today. Number 14, we're called to be a blessing. And that, this comes out of verse 14 here. And I'm going to hold off on that. Bless those who persecute you until we get into the, the, the next section here. Next week, we'll look at that in a greater detail. Just simply say in that connection, Ephesians chapter 4, I think verse 32 is our guide there. Be ye kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. We, we need to practice that. And we'll come back to that another time here. Even those that may be hard to get along with, can we bless them? Can we pray for them? Can we demonstrate the compassion, the love of Christ to those that may be difficult uh, and making life, trying to make life miserable for us? And then he says, I want you, number 15, to be compassionate. It comes out of verse 15. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Now, that's tough to do. When in the same week, you may be called to rejoice with somebody and then the next day weep with somebody. That, that can be a, a hard experience. If you've ever had, well, you haven't had because you're not pastors, but if you had, had a, ever had a funeral on a wedding in the same week, those can be tough weeks. You, you want to rejoice in, in, in what's taking place in the one couple's life, but, but then there's the, the sense of sorrow and loss in, in the other one. But I, I, I think it's good for us to evaluate. Do we honestly rejoice? with our brother and sister in Christ? What if God prospers your brother or your sister? Do, do we find that a cause for rejoicing? Or do we allow a little bit of envy to crowd into our lives? Well, why are they getting the blessing and not me? Why, why do they go to Hawaii and I can't go to Hawaii? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I, I've heard some of that. <laughs> yeah, they, they shouldn't be able to do that. I, I haven't done that. Uh, do we really rejoice in the good fortune of somebody else? Or do we allow envy to rob us of that sense of rejoicing? And then do we rejoice or do we share in the pain of somebody else? When somebody's suffering, are, are we willing to weep with, with those who are weeping there? Or do we make the assumption, well, if they're going through a trial, it must be their fault. Well, we, we read that in the book of Job, remember? His, his three friends, they said, Job, you've got to be a terrible su- uh, sinner here, or this wouldn't be happening to you. That wasn't what Job needed to hear. Uh, God had already said Job was a righteous man, blameless in all his ways. That It wasn't because of any fault in him that this, this was happening. He needed simply somebody that would sit alongside of him. And, and the best thing they did was, you read the opening chapters there, they sat in silence for, what, seven days there before they said anything. If they'd have stopped at that point, they would have been good comforters. But then they had to open their mouth and, and uh, complicate things there. But uh, God calls us to share in the life of those that are suffering. And often we feel... You know, I don't know what to say. I don't know what to do. When somebody's grieving, so what do we do? We do nothing. We, we just ignore the, the situation. I, I find that often our presence speaks louder than our words in, in those kind of situations. I, I remember years ago, we, we got on, it was a Saturday afternoon, Ginger's parents called and let us know that our Ginger's uh, brother-in-law was lost in the Clark Fork River. It was March. 
Uh, the temperature of the water was about 38, 39 degrees. Uh, her sister had gone in to rescue one of their dogs, had gone in too far, was caught in a whirlpool. Jim jumped in to save her. The dog got out by itself. They didn't need any help. But uh, he pushed her out of, of the whirlpool and, and followed her out. But the unfortunate thing was they went out on the wrong side. Instead of coming to the shore, they were going across the river. And, and so the only thing they could do was try to swim across the river. Uh, they uh, made it most of the way. Uh, she was giving up, and he kept encouraging her to go. And, and then she looks back, and he's not responding and uh, she calls to him and he, he looks up and he says you get to shore i'm okay and she crawled up on the shore their 10 year old boy came down and helped her get up had to cross the bridge and come over and help her get into the camper but uh, jim disappeared and uh, it was pres- presumed drowned well we get this news on a saturday afternoon and uh, the first thing we want to do is be there because they're combing the, the sides of the river. They're uh, sending boats out. They brought in special dogs and so forth, uh, trying to find either Jim or, or his body there. And actually, it was, wasn't until July that they found the body. But um, I, I still remember uh, we, we alerted our prayer chain, and then um, I called several of the local pastors that we had in our pastor fellowship. They, they had their churches praying and so forth. Uh, we... We had that desire to be there, but I knew I couldn't go until Monday morning. I had Sunday to preach. We didn't have any cash on hand, so we had to wait till the bank opened Monday morning. Well, just about dinner time, there came a knock on the door, and there was Isla. Isla was probably close to seventy at the time. Now I, I can make caramel rolls, and, and and some of you have shared it in some of those, but I cannot begin to compete with Isla cinnamon rolls. Uh, they, they just melt in your mouth there. Uh, she, she, had, she was the expert. She, she never gave me a recipe, but she was the expert there. Uh, but uh, here she was with a, a plate of rolls. Uh, she must have baked them that afternoon because they were still warm. And she said, I, I, I know you're upset and you're going to need something for breakfast. So here it is. I thought, what a blessing that was in, in retrospect there. Just a, a, a simple gesture that spoke so much to us. Others stepped in and ministered a, a, as well there. Uh, do we rejoice? Do, do we share in the life of others when they're going through a difficult time? I, I, I found over the years, one, one of the ministries that, uh, I, I can't say that it's my favorite part of the ministry, but I feel if I know somebody's in the hospital, I want to be there. On a, a visit with them, and uh, it, it always disturbs me when somebody comes up to me afterwards and says, "I was in the hospital this week, and you didn't come and visit me." I said, "Well, how am I supposed to know you're in the hospital? <laughs> uh, I'm not God in those areas. If, if, if I know, if I get a phone call, I, I will make the sacrifice to be there." You know, I, I found over the years in those times, you don't need to have an answer. A lot of people say, well, I don't know what to say if I go in there. It's your presence that makes the difference. It says, I care. And and you just have a simple prayer with them. That, that That's all they need at, at that time. You don't need to have clever answers when, when somebody's suffering that way. I, I remember a lady, I went over to visit. I didn't realize what was going on in their life. But uh, we were in Ecolac at the time. Uh, 
an older couple that had a difficult time getting out to church, so I, I would go over on a regular basis and, and visit with him. And I, I remember walking in, and I knew something was wrong. And she said, Pastor, have I, did, have I done something wrong? I said, why do you say that? She said, well, I, I've just been diagnosed with cancer. Is God mad at me? And uh, what do you say? How do you answer that question? And I, I shared again the love of Christ with them. I said, I don't understand why you're going through this. I have no idea the reason, but I know that God loves you. And that, that was sufficient. That, that was all that she needed that, at that point in time. Do we identify with those that are rejoicing? Do we identify with those that are suffering? Are we, are we rejoicing with those that rejoice? Are we weeping with those who weep today? And then he sums it up. The last one is to be humble. I'm taking that out of verse 16 here. There's three parts to that, but he starts with be of the same mind to one another. Uh, When I think of that little phrase, be humble, though, isn't that what we started with back in verse 3? Don't think of yourselves more highly than you ought to think. Have a sober evaluation of yourself. Uh, Come with an attitude of humility there. And if we are humble, we will seek to be united, seek to have a unity of mind. Now, that doesn't mean we're going to see eye to eye on every issue. We were talking about that in our uh, new members class this morning. Um, you know, when it comes to the rapture of the church, I personally hold to the pre-trib uh, doctrine there. Uh, I, I have some good friends that they want to go through the tribulation. They want to go at the end of the tribulation. That, that's okay with me if they want to do that. <laughs> uh, I, I don't want to do that. <laughs> but, uh, y- 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 you know, we can agree to disagree on some of those areas without being combative. It, 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 it really doesn't make a whole lot of difference. Uh, I, I was thinking of that in, in Hawaii. If that missile wanted to drop that day and I was home with the Lord, praise the Lord. I, I, I'd be home with him in glory. That, that's the important thing there. But seek to be united. Uh, so often we are combative with one another. So often it's my way or the highway. We're not even willing to consider the other person's viewpoint there. Uh, we have our own agenda there. Paul says, I want you to seek that unity in the body of Jesus Christ. Uh, I think a lot of times we need the advice of James chapter 1, verse 19, where he said, let a man be, what? Slow to speak, swift to hear. Sw- slow to anger there. Uh, we, we, we need to practice that with, with one another. And then he says, don't be haughty. Don't come with a holier-than-thou attitude. Sometimes in that holier-than-thou attitude, we judge people in an area that God doesn't judge him. You ever notice that God will sometimes lead your brother or sister down a different path than he leads you? Now, uh, is that right? I think it is. Uh, some people are involved in one cause, somebody else in another cause. Uh, we, we can't be involved in all of them. Let God lead you as he wants to lead you. Let God lead your brother as, as, as he wants to lead him. You, you are not the one to direct their, their paths there. Don't be haughty and think you can play God in somebody else's life. You can't. God will not give that position to somebody else. God alone is God. And then he said, associate with the lowly. Christ did that. In James chapter 2, he warns about the danger of somebody coming in, a poor man and a rich man coming into the congregation. Do we treat one different than the other? Or or do we treat them both alike there? Uh, Verse, uh, well, before I get to that, um, I, I've heard 
several times repeated by people here in, in this church. I don't know everybody. There's so many new faces. I don't know them. And, uh, you know, my advice to that is walk across the aisle and introduce yourself. How else are you going to get to know them? Don't, don't assume that they're going to come and introduce. If, if they're new in the congregation, they're the visitor. You take the, you take the effort to get to know them there. Uh, I, I struggled with that early in my ministry because I was very, you won't believe it, may not believe this, but I was very shy, uh, very reserved when I first started out in ministry. Ask my wife about that. She can tell you that. Uh, uh, it, it was a struggle for me to meet new people. Uh, and yet, uh, as God worked in that over, area over the years, I found out, you know, it's great to meet new people. You can learn a lot from them. Uh, you can be blessed fr- fr- from them there. Uh, so we, we have to take the initiative to love, to reach out. And sometimes that involves stepping out of our comfort zone. We, we, we like our own little group. We like our own little clique. We, we know everybody in that, and we know how they're going to react and so forth. And then God brings somebody new along. Are we willing to step out and say, I'm going to embrace them? I'm going to in- include them in my life. Uh, I'm, I'm going to reach out to somebody else. Too often, well, he says in verse 16, uh, don't be wise in your own estimation. Too often, if we're not careful when it comes to love, we use the wrong measuring stick. In 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 12, he says, Comparing yourselves among yourselves, you're not wise. Our example is not the person sitting next to us. We, we can always find somebody that's doing just a little bit poorer job in these areas than we are and think, well, I'm better than they are. Uh, if the truth were known, we could probably find somebody who was doing a better job in those areas too, but we, we ignore that. Uh, that's not the measuring stick. The measuring stick is Jesus Christ. Compare yourself to him. He's the one that loved you, that brought you to Christ, that, that brought you to salvation. In Philippians chapter 2, he says in verse 5, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Follow him. Pattern him. You be an example of the love of Jesus Christ to others. Started out in verse 2 here. Don't be conformed to the world, but be transformed. Let the word of God change your heart. Let the word of God change your mind and how you react to, to one another there. Follow the example of Jesus Christ. So again, I'm going to give you the same assignment I gave you two weeks ago. We had eight commands here. Uh, go back over them, reread them. And what is the one area this week that you need to put into practice? What is one area that you, maybe somebody's need that you can reach out and meet? Maybe uh, somebody you can be a blessing to? Uh, I, I'm not going to suggest how that's going to work out in your life. I have a hard enough time working it out in my own life. But you reread these and honestly ask the Spirit of God to reveal one of those areas that you need to develop in your life this week or, or to, to share in, in that area. We are all gifted. We all have an opportunity, I believe, to reach out and be a blessing to somebody else. The question we have to ask is, are we willing to be that blessing? Are we willing to demonstrate the love of Christ to those that desperately need his love? Let's pray. Father,
we marvel when we read in Scripture that you so loved the world that you gave your only begotten Son. And then we read in 1 John, if, if God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. Give us the courage to practice love this week. Give us the wisdom to know how we can best take one of these principles that we've looked at and incorporate it into this week and into our relationship with one another. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. And we're going to sing, What a Day That Will Be. Okay, I'm getting ahead of you there. Yeah.